there will be joy. I promise. People talk about a defining moment in life. I've come to realize that there is no one defining moment, but instead a series of events and circumstances that define who we are. The times with my father on the lake and with my mother overlooking the valley are two such moments. Today, I know that each of us is destined for something, a purpose that often seems muddy or vague at best. We may not discover that purpose in the way that we'd want, but if we are patient long enough, we will catch it in fleeting glimpses. We will see tiny sparks of revelation that push us closer and closer to our destiny. There will be pain, sometimes more than we bargained for, but as my mother promised so many years ago, in the end, there will be joy. Late October 2000 I gunned the engine, pulled the truck out of my parking space, and flew over the speed bumps on my way out of the apartment complex. A young mother grabbed her toddler and gave me a dirty look. I thumped the face of my watch, and the second hand seemed to groan before deciding to move. Too late now, I'll never make it, I thought, glancing at the clock in my dashboard. The tires squealed as I pulled out onto the main road. If I made all the stoplights through town, I could get to the hospital in fifteen minutes. Turning into the hospital lot, I glanced at the clock. Fourteen minutes. A new personal record. I parked and ran for the main entrance. Maybe he hasn't started yet. Who was I kidding? Dr. Getz never failed to start on time. As part of my third-year medical rotations, the university had placed me under the tutelage of Dr. Crawford Getz, the best cardiologist in the hospital. Cardiology wasn't part of a normal rotation block, but the university felt that a rotation in cardiology would only enhance a student's studies. So I was stuck for the next four weeks with Dr. Getz. He was a Harvard and Vanderbilt man, the chief of cardiology, father of four, grandfather of two, and a thorn in my flesh. He specialized in pediatric cardiology, but since the hospital had only a small number of child patients a year, as department head, Dr. Getz would also oversee the treatment of adult patients. In each of our rotations, a medical student was part of a team that consisted of an attending physician, three to four students, and an upper-level resident. Peter Vashti was the resident on Dr. Getz's team. My clipboard with the day's rounds was hanging at the nurse's station, the last to be picked up. I checked the room number for the first patient to be seen and ran to catch up, sneaking in behind William Radcliffe, an old friend and fellow student who, to my good fortune, stood 6'5". Dr. Getz was sitting on the patient's bed, a 47-year-old man recovering from open-heart surgery. She's working like a 30-year-old's heart, Dr. Getz said. Does that translate to the rest of his body? The man's wife asked, cracking a wad of gum. Dr. Getz laughed. He had a carefree, easy way with his patients and their families. Too bad that didn't translate to his students. So everything feels normal? Dr. Getz asked, resting his hand on the patient's shoulder. He's cranky again, the wife said, her gum exploding like a firecracker. Is that good or bad? I don't know if it's good or bad, but for him, it's normal, his wife continued. The patient looked sheepish. Poor guy. No wonder he had heart surgery. She was relentless. 
All right, Jason, Dr. Getz said, smiling. You're ready to go home. The man shook Dr. Getz's hand, and I could see his eyes fill with tears. He started to speak, then stopped. Dr. Getz squeezed his shoulder and turned to leave, nodding for us to follow. Who's our next patient? Dr. Getz asked. Andrews? I looked down at the chart in my hands. The patient in room 2201. Mr. Andrews, he said, as if giving a speech to a room of 500. Just as you were not given a number at birth, but a name, you will find that your patients came into the world in the exact same manner. Learn who they are, not where they're located. I could feel sweat break out on my upper lip. I didn't mean it that... I began, but it was too late. And, Mr. Andrews, as a reminder, your rotation begins at 6 a.m., not 6.18. I felt my chest tighten. I should have known that Dr. Getz would pick up on my tardiness. During a break in rounds, I retreated to the lounge and sank into the sofa. I leaned my head against the wall and rubbed my temples. If I'd known there was going to be someone like Dr. Getz in my future, I never would have signed up for medical school in the first place. I glanced at my watch and noticed it had stopped running again. I tapped the face, but the second hand wouldn't budge. I took the watch off and flipped it over to thump the battery casing. I ran my finger over the inscription. With all the love in the world, Mom. I remember my father coming into my room during the early morning hours of that Christmas. He said that my mother had stepped into heaven. I ran to the living room where my mother lay still on the hospital bed. My grandmother was holding her hand, weeping. I watched my mother for the longest time, praying she'd move again, that she'd reach for me and say, You need to get back into bed, little man. But she couldn't reach for me, and I knew it. She was thirty-four years old. Wilson's department store was about to close on that Christmas Eve as I ran from one department to the next looking for the perfect gift, until the shoes caught my eye on a sales rack. I ran them to the front register and pulled a crumpled wad of bills out of my jeans pocket. When the clerk told me I didn't have enough money, I was heartbroken. I turned to a man behind me, and before I knew what was happening... He paid for the shoes, and I ran out the door for home. When I helped my mother unwrap the shoes, she held them to her chest and made me feel as if I'd just handed her heaven itself. We buried her in them. During the last weeks of her life, my mother wrote a series of letters to my sister Rachel and me. In one addressed to me, she wrote, Dear Nathan, I have had many joys in my life, but none that have compared to you and Rachel. I always want you to know that I fell more in love with you every day. Please don't ever dread Christmas, Nathan, but remember to look for the miracles instead. It may be hard to see them at times, but they will always be there, because Christmas is the season for miracles. With all the love in the world, Mom. Before she died, my mother bought special gifts for Rachel and me. She wanted my father to give them to us on our sixteenth birthdays. 
Rachel got a gold locket, and I got this watch. A flat, gold-faced Timex with a simple black band. I'd worn the watch every day since my father gave it to me on my 16th birthday. Soon after my mother's death, I told my father and grandmother that I wanted to be a doctor so I could help people just like my mother. Before I knew it, I was through college and into medical school. What a tribute to your mother's memory, an aunt would say, or what a tremendous way to honor your mother, an old family friend would comment. I felt the pressure mounting. People were counting on me to become a physician. My mother's memory depended on it. But after three months of rotations and watching people suffer and die, and now a week with Dr. Getz, I questioned whether I'd made the right decision. I felt as if I didn't measure up, that I wasn't cut out for it. I opened my eyes and realized I needed to get back to rounds. Our team gathered outside the patient's room, and Micah, another third-year med student on our team, stepped forward and began to give the patient's blood pressure, pulse, heart rate, and the results of a heart test administered the previous afternoon. Micah was the gunner of our group, a med student's term to describe a fellow student who was always the first to answer, the first to give stats on someone else's patient, and the first to get on other students' nerves. Helen Wayman was the next patient on our rounds. She was a 52-year-old woman complaining of chest pain who had a history of cervical disc disease. I had done Helen's workup when she was admitted to the hospital the previous afternoon. I went over her progress notes with the team before entering her room. It was customary that the attending physician took over once the group entered the patient's room. It was our time to stand back and learn, but I felt it was important to greet my patients first. Good morning, Helen, I said, standing at her side. I see your daughter was able to bring your knitting to you. Now you're not so bored, I hope. Dr. Getz glanced at me. What are you making? I asked. A baby blanket for my next grandchild, number three. I've made a blanket for all of them. She's due in the next week or two. I sensed Dr. Getz waiting for me to finish. Let's go ahead and take a listen to your heart again this morning. I listened to her heart and felt for her pulse. Dr. Getz would like to listen to your heart today as well. Dr. Getz took my place and examined her. As he did, he asked her about all her grandchildren, where they lived, and if she'd make him a pair of slippers. She laughed, and I watched as Dr. Getz won over yet another patient. Before leaving the room, I squeezed Helen's shoulder and told her I'd be by later to check on her. I walked with William toward the cafeteria for lunch when my pager went off. I walked to Helen's room. Her daughter, Mary, looking very pregnant and uncomfortable, was sitting in the chair next to the bed. Is everything all right, Helen? I asked. She leaned forward and rubbed her hand over her lower back. My back has been hurting. I helped Helen into a more comfortable position. You've been immobile longer than usual and that may be putting pressure on those discs in your back. Does that feel better? She paused for a moment. Yes, thank you. I think it helped. So you don't think it's anything serious? Mary asked. No, it may just be some inflammation around those discs.
but we should rule out any other possibilities. I left her room and went to the nurse's station to discuss follow-up with the nurse on duty and to page one of the residents when Mary came rushing from her mother's room. My mother needs help! A nurse ran past me and headed to Helen's room. I followed close behind. I had just stepped inside when the nurse called in a loud, firm voice, Page Dr. Vashti! I stood in the hallway, right outside Helen's door, feeling helpless as Peter wheeled Helen to the OR. I was ordered to stay behind and attend to the other patients on the floor. I finished my duties and ran up the two flights of stairs to the OR. As I threw open the door, I saw Peter waiting for the elevator. What happened? How's Helen Wayman? I asked. She died a few minutes ago, Peter said. What happened? She died from ascending aortic dissection, Peter said. The elevator doors opened in front of us, but I couldn't step forward. My legs were too weak to carry me. Peter stepped inside the elevator and held the door open for me. Nathan? I looked at him but couldn't respond. If Helen died of ascending aortic dissection, it meant the pain she felt in her back was caused from a tear in the aorta, not her cervical disc problem. She told me her back was aching. I thought that the pain was attributed to cervical disc disease. I had just gone to the nurse's station to... Peter nodded, cutting me off. Given her history, I would have thought the same, he said. Helen was a woman with a long history of back problems, Nathan. She was much sicker than any of us knew, and sometimes there's just nothing we can do. After Helen died, I confided my doubts to William during a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball. It's because our hours are so long, William said. You'd see things differently if you just weren't so tired. He sank a shot over my head. I grabbed the ball and held him off with one arm. You're taking gets too personally. He comes down hard on everybody. I ran around him and jumped in the air, aiming for the basket. The ball dropped through the hoop and William grabbed it, dribbling it close to the floor. It's not gets, I said, lunging for the ball. A patient died under my care. She wasn't under your care. You were the med student on the team that was treating her, William said. He rested the ball on his hip, wiping his face with the back of his arm. There was nothing anyone could have done. You need to stop blaming yourself. He was moving again. I charged for the ball and snatched it away from him, throwing in a...